Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 21 of Gateway to Cinema, the spin-off of the far more popular podcast reboot already underway, the Jungle Cubs to the main podcast, The Jungle Book. Yes, they made a TV show about all the animals when they were babies. That's a, that's a thing, Lacey. And, you know, this is my favorite Disney movie. I've said that several times, but I did not know this existed, so... Yikes. <laughs> I am, of course, your host, Aaron Hahn, joined as always by Jacob Lacey. Uh, I had a quote ready, but I'm going to switch it right now because I already forgot the other one. It's just, uh, sorry, I, I couldn't resist. That's my, that's my catchphrase this week. I had to be quite careful with your choice of quote from this <laughs> well, movie, I was never you? gonna. <laughs> I would never pick something like that. But it was going to be the, uh, the, the Calvin Candy quote where he's like, oh... At first you had my uh, interest, but now you have my attention or something like that. I might have that mm. backwards, but... Yes, uh, listeners, because we are once again covering one of the films from a list of 100 movies I once made for Lacey to watch. Films that are interesting introductions to the larger world of cinema. And this week, if you couldn't tell by our conversation there, we are covering the recent modern classic, mm -hmm. I suppose we can already call it, from Quentin Tarantino. It's Django Unchained. Yeah. All right, Lacey, so let's start off, as always, with your initial thoughts on this movie. So this was a movie that I had heard a lot about the year it came out. Everyone was talking about it, and they're like, oh, man, it's so good. And I'm like, well, all right. People I heard talking about it and saying it was so good, I'm like, do I really trust their opinions? No, I don't. And so, <laughs> I don't think you'd have ever said anything about it. I don't know when you saw this movie, but... Um, I didn't see it that long after it was released. All right. But I don't know if I was, like, running around singing I mean, its yeah. praises, I there suppose. There were two people specifically. Even though I do really enjoy this movie. There were two people specifically, and I'm not going to name names or whatever, but I'm like, I don't really trust your movie opinions. <laughs> so, uh, so, that. So... For a while, I was like, okay, this is a movie, and then, I mean, like, I had seen Pulp Fiction, and I liked Pulp Fiction, but, I don't know, this was just one that I'm like, eh, I'm not a huge fan of westerns, this is before I had seen any westerns, really, except for Cowboys and Aliens, which is like, that's, yeah, barely a western. Yikes. Um, so, I don't know. I didn't really know what to expect going in. Uh, other than that, it's Quentin Tarantino. I was going to end up watching through all of his movies for the uh, director. My, my search for the favorite director eventually. He's the next on my list. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm happy to say that I really loved it. Um, I think it falls into a lot of the same traps that a lot of Quentin Tarantino movies do from my understanding. Or just from, I guess, who I perceive Quentin Tarantino to be or as a filmmaker. Not as a person, but like as a filmmaker, where it's very long. It's very self-indulgent. It is indeed very long. <laughs> um, it doesn't really, you know, doesn't really spare us any, uh, any details, you know. He just he digs in everything. He's like, here we go. Here's the side character that we get a lot, a lot of time with. Don't really care about him. He is certainly a director of excess. Oh yes. Whether you love that or not, that's that's who he is. And I'd say I think Pulp Fiction. This might be blasphemy to a lot of people, but I don't like Pulp Fiction that much. 
I love two thirds of Pulp Fiction, and then the middle section's like, okay, this is the Bruce good. Willis section. It's not. Yeah. It's not that great. No, it's not good. And uh, that movie drags in the middle for me, where it's just like, oh, you can start to feel the length, and you're like, ah, oh, can it just be done already? This movie, almost three hours long, never felt it once. I was like, it scooted right along. I never felt like we were dragging any areas. Um, Interesting, because there's this one part where I think it begins to drag, but we'll get into that in spoilers. There, yeah, we'll get to it in spoilers. There is one moment where I'm kind of like, okay, you can end this now. But <laughs> that's, I don't know. There, there's just, eh, well, spoilers. Um, so, uh, yeah, overall, so I, I loved it. Uh, probably my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie I've seen so far. Again, blasphemy to people who love Pulp Fiction, but, you know. Um, wait, how many Tarantino films have you seen? <laughs> two. Just <laughs> so, two? Okay. Yeah. yeah, and parts of Inglorious Bastards, so I can't really speak to that one as a whole. Because so. I've seen all of them except for Jackie Brown and The Hateful Eight. Those are the two I have not gotten to yet. I have The Hateful Eight on my shelf. I just haven't watched it yet. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's in your voodoo but it's like it i never have like three over three hours <laughs> you know sit down and watch one movie it's a problem now i have amazon prime too and i'm like oh i can get movies with no free or with free shipping sure I'm like, okay oh here's a criterion movie here's this and i'm when you just said hateful eights in the voodoo i'm like oh god is it <laughs> i'm like i don't even is. know <laughs> i don't know anymore so <laughs> <laughs> no, I have the same problem buying too many movies and then forgetting to actually watch the ones I bought. Yeah, but. yeah, I have the problem. What do you think, though, Aaron? Why'd you put it on the list? I believe that when I was making this list, I think this is one you actually somewhat requested for me to put on the list. I I believe that this was a film that you were like you were interested in watching that you had heard a lot about and that you were definitely interested in watching. I believe I told you that I really enjoyed it and it would be a film I would recommend you watch. Yeah, that so sounds I know we, familiar now. We definitely talked about this film before I put it on the list as one you were interested in watching. And so that's the one of the reasons it uh, ended up on this list. But also, I do think it is a very enjoyable film. It's a very fun film, like many uh, Tarantino films are. And I do think that there is a lot of interesting uh, material he's working with here in, you know, his depiction of slavery and his, you know, reinvention of the Western mythos that I find very fascinating. Although, you know, there is a lot of debate over how he handles it, which I don't know. But I suppose we can dig into this film a little deeper now because we are going to talk about spoilers so if you have not seen this film highly recommended by both of us so go watch it uh it's no longer on netflix right no it's not i rented it from yeah. amazon it's pretty cheap if you rent it from there so but if you have seen it or just don't care we are now going to talk about it a little in depth with spoilers i want to start with where you thought it dragged because i have very few things that i didn't like about this movie and we should just probably get them out of the way first um, oh, okay. Well, uh, this, the point where I thought, felt it was Dragon was, like, towards the end, mm -hmm. where we have basically, you know, they they fail to uh, rescue his uh, wife, and uh, they, like, the shootout starts, he kills a few people in the household, but then 
uh, Brumhilda gets uh, held hostage, and so he's then uh, taken again. He's captured again, and then he's shipped off to you know go work in the mines or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then he you know tricks the mine workers into letting him free. Comes back, and then he kills everyone else in the household. And I just felt I don't know. Just personally, I felt like you could have streamlined this. You could have just had both shootouts in one. You know. As soon as the shootout breaks out, you can just keep the shootout going. He kills everyone. He rescues wife. That's the end of the movie. Because I just feel like adding that little bit there didn't really... It didn't really add anything in terms of, like, thematic depth or, you know, like, narrative twists, really, in my opinion. It didn't seem like it was really doing anything new for the film. It just felt like it was making that extra step in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. I that is that is right when I started when he's when Samuel Jackson is talking to uh, Jamie Fox and he's like, "Oh, we're gonna send you away," and they don't do anything worse than over at the coal mine or whatever. And it's like, okay, that's where I'm like, okay, all right, let's get back to where he kills them all, <laughs> like, because I mean. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's not it's not much longer after that where no. he does come back and kill everyone, but it does feel. Just in my yeah, opinion, like, I felt like it could have been streamlined there. Quentin Tarantino just needed that needed that cameo, huh? Just needed that's, it real bad. That's true, yeah. He needed uh, his... I was so impressed for about three minutes when you just kind of see him riding on the horse. I'm like, oh, that's Quentin Tarantino, all right. I'm like, he doesn't have any speaking lines, perfect. And then he has a ton of speaking lines, and I'm like, oh my god, Quentin, no! You're not a good actor, man. I'm sorry. You're just bad. What? He's he's a fun actor. He is. He also doesn't use the N-word in this movie, so you're like, good for you, Quentin. A little bit of restraint. That's been, that's been a problem with you before. Um, but yeah, I was like, eh, come on, man. We don't we don't you don't need to give yourself this big a part. And then he gets blown up by the dynamite, and it's like, okay. That was pretty cool. But, yeah. Alright, so that's the part I didn't like, I guess. Those are the parts I didn't like. Everything else, I loved. So, um, <laughs> I, I really was not expecting that when I watched this movie. I was expecting something, like I said, more along the lines of Pulp Fiction, where I'm like, I like a lot of parts of this, but overall, I'm not a huge fan. I do think that when it comes down to watching all of Quentin Tarantino's movies, though, I don't think he'll be my favorite. Even though I like his movies, it's like something about them, they're just, they're number one, too long. They're like way too like, I'm trying to think of a better word than self-indulgent, but they're very self-indulgent. <laughs> um, and there's just something that just doesn't click like the Coen Brothers movies do for me. So. No, I mean, I understand the mindset because when, I was thinking about who would be my favorite directors. Like, I, I toyed with the idea of putting uh, Quentin Tarantino on the list, but, like, it's the thing where I love most of his movies, mm-hmm. and, you know, they're all, like, really solid movies. He has an impressively consistent filmography, you know, because yeah. he picks his projects very carefully. But at the same time, I do think there's also that tiny... There's something missing for me that it just doesn't make me connect with his movies. Like, I am continually impressed by them like they're very technically well made yeah, and real. you know they're very stylish 
you know, everything about them is very just well made. He's a great craftsman, but I do think he's just missing. I suppose I don't find enough like depth in his movies usually. Like I, it yeah. seems to be very much style over substance, in my opinion. I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. It's just like no, there's not. It's Quinn. just that's not my personal preference. Exactly, and I know a lot of people love Quentin Tarantino, and like, good on you. If he can, if it connects with you, then that's awesome. But yeah, I think we're on the same boat there. It's like there's just something missing to making it like Fargo levels of like fun and Big Lebowski and stuff like that. Again, only other person I can compare it to where I've seen most of their filmography now is the <laughs> Coen brothers. So, um, but do you want to talk a little bit about favorite moments, though? Because, yeah. you know, even if he's style over substance, there is some, some pretty great style in this style. movie. <laughs> I think the biggest laugh in this movie for me is when it's the, when the second time he comes back to the house. And they're like, uh, God, what's his sister's name? I don't remember. God, I don't remember either. I don't either. We're going to call her Tilda now for now, though, okay? Her name's Tilda for a second. I know people who have seen this movie are probably like, it's, it's obviously this, but it's like, it's Tilda for a moment. But where he's like, uh, <laughs> they're coming up the stairs. He's like, say goodbye to Tilda. What? Say goodbye to Tilda. Bye, Tilda. Blows her away. She goes flying back into the room. And I'm like, Whoa, What? <laughs> Uh, that scene was just like I don't know. It was it's the comic, like you're like oh he's gonna kill her obviously, but just the way she gets blown back into the room from a right, little revolver. Like the angle so is not lined up at all. It's <laughs> like so she gets good. Shot <laughs> at this diagonal path, and then she just shoots straight back. It's oh, it's God. very much that you know excessive violence that Tarantino is so good at. Excessive in this movie, like. I mean, I've seen Pulp Fiction, and it's excessive in that. It's way more excessive than this, though. Blood just spurts out like a fountain, like a hose that just, like, got unleashed. And they're like, oh, let's take the kink out of the hose, and then it sprays everywhere. Like, when the one guy's laying on the ground in the first firefight, and they just keep shooting him in the leg, he's like, oh, God, why? <laughs> it just keeps spurting. It's like, no one has that much blood in them. But, oh, man, it's great. I'm very surprised, though, when you said the funniest moment of the movie for you was that and not the KKK scene. That because scene... Because that is <laughs> the that funniest scene, is... scene of, like, any movie. I was like, is that Jonah Hill? I was a little distracted <laughs> the whole time trying to figure out if that was Jonah Hill. <laughs> it is indeed Jonah Hill. And this but... is, like, right when he's, you know, becoming, like, that prestige actor. You're just like, oh, I'm I'm now getting adjusted to seeing Jonah Hill and like good movies, <laughs> good movies. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean that's definitely the funniest scene. I think just the pure shock of seeing her like fly back like that was like the big chuckle. But uh, yeah, man, enough. that whole scene where it's like I can't see anything out of how hard is it to cut holes in a bag. <laughs> Oh my god, they're all idiots. <laughs> they're all idiots. And that's what's so uh, great about the scene, you yeah. know? It's that catharsis of just, like, laughing. You know? At how stupid if, you, if you're gonna, if you're gonna throw white supremacists in your movie, it's like, let us be able to laugh at them. Yeah. Dummies. 
And I love, I was a little thrown off by how they edited it at first, where they're riding in, and then it cuts to them beforehand talking about the mask and stuff, and then cuts back to them riding around the uh, the carriage. But mm -hmm. that, it works so much better, because at first it's like this intimidating thing, and then that scene happens, and then you look at them, and they're like, where are they? Where are they? Like, trying to burn the carriage. And like, oh, God. <laughs> it's a good one. It, yeah, it's, but I mean, that's very much Tarantino styles to do the nonlinear storytelling and then have those ironic moments like that where the past events yeah. inform the present. I, I want to actually mention real quick one more thing I didn't like. And this is <laughs> right. very much a style thing and I don't like it when any movie does this. When it's this period piece mixed with modern music. Like there's a Jim Croce song in here and I'm like, whoa way off guys like a hundred years off but all right i'm like all right well at least it fits the tone and there's like a rap song in it i'm like oh okay not a fan but i mean i understand some people like that that's just one of those things that doesn't really fit my my style or what i enjoy so yeah i mean i i like that style especially like not for every film but for tarantino that's just very much part of what you come to expect from his films and i think it really works here I do think a lot of the musical cues are pretty on point. I mean, like, they're not, like, the wrong song or anything. It's just, like, eh, it feels a bit weird. I don't know. It takes me out of it and makes me feel like, yeah, I'm watching a movie right now. Like, this song didn't even exist when this happened, so. I do think that's, you know, part of Tarantino's style overall, again, is that you, you, never, you never forget that you're watching a movie while watching his movies. You don't really get absorbed into them. As in, like, this is, you know, a, a story that's true to life or a story that's going to get you emotionally swept over or anything. It's very much, you know, look at me mess around with all these movie conventions and tropes and all that. I'm going to disagree with you on one count. And that's Leonardo DiCaprio's Calvin Candy, who's one of the most terrifying characters <laughs> I think I've ever seen in a film. Like, oh god! It is an excellent performance. You know, yeah. I'm not trying no, to I know, I'm that. Just, I know, I know what you're saying, but it's just that scene, man. I where he's given the like the the, the uh, famous scene where he actually cut his hand. Yeah, on I didn't the... know that, and I'm like, when did he? When did his hand get cut or whatever? And then I'm like, oh, I read later. I'm like, oh, he actually cut his hand open, and he just kept going. That is amazing. <laughs> like, he wanted that Oscar. Yeah. And he still didn't get it. He deserves it for this, honestly, more than The Revenant. Just like with he Wolf of Wall Street. deserved it for, like, almost any of his past movies over The Revenant. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah he's just, he's just so evil in this movie. And you, like, you feel it, man. And, uh, I... This is the thing, where I'm like, he gives a great performance... I think Christoph Waltz gives a great performance. Mm -hmm. And I think Jamie Foxx gives a great performance, but it's a very different kind of performance. Where Christoph Waltz mean? and um, Leonardo DiCaprio are definitely more showy, while Jamie Foxx is a more subdued type character um, who doesn't have very many lines throughout the movie, even though he's like the main character. He doesn't mm -hmm. have like this big speech or this big monologue or anything. But it's more just played on his face and played on um, his reactions to what other people are saying around him. Where I'm like, 
That's a good performance, Jamie Foxx. You're good. I haven't seen you in that many good things, but good job, Jamie Foxx. You didn't like him as uh, Electro? Yeah, no. Don't, I... don't you know? I'm, I'm Electro. Now, now he is my enemy. <laughs> but no, it is a it is a very good performance. Uh, yeah, so I like that. Um, we've already talked about the hyper violence, which is super hyper in this. Also, guy from Lost. I think all he can play are bad guys. I don't know. Uh, Tom, I think was his name in Lost. But he was one of the brothers, one of the first bounties that they go after. I honestly don't remember who this is from Lost. Okay, never mind then. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, good to see you got work. And then he dies in the very scene he comes in. And I'm like, all right, never mind then. <laughs> um, I just... This is another problem I actually have. Carrie Washington. Did you like this movie? I did. I really did because I was enthralled the whole time and I was in it. But like, Carrie Washington is given nothing to do in this movie at all. Carrie Washington is a great actress, and it's like she has some scenes, but it's never like. Eh. I just feel like you get Carrie Washington, and this is all she does in this movie. Like, yeah, she very much is just that damsel in distress yeah i don't think they really do anything to elevate her beyond that but she does speak german though that's a big plot yeah indeed i don't know but it is interesting that like most of our information about her comes from you know the male characters talking about her as opposed to actually you know, spending a lot of scenes with her, especially given that this movie is so long. It's like, you couldn't give her <laughs> yeah. just, like, a few more few more scenes there? Yeah. I mean, certainly it. part of it is just, like, the pacing that, like, you can't reveal her presence too soon in the plot because it's very much right. Django's journey back to her. But. but then also you get scenes that are, like, back in time when she was getting whipped or whatever, and it's like, mm-hmm. you couldn't do something there? Like... Uh, like, you care about them together because Jamie Foxx, you can tell he cares. But, like, there's never, like, any, like, real scene between them that's like, oh, they really love each other. It's just kind of like, yeah. Nope. But it's Kerry Washington. It is Kerry so Washington. So That's why we care. Yeah. I understand. I understand, Jamie Foxx. I get it. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh but there was something I wanted to talk about, though, is that you mentioned that uh, you haven't seen many Westerns. I haven't. And I do think it's interesting that we have now covered... I'm going I'm to make this, you know, technically two Westerns yeah. if we count Blazing Saddles. We'll count it. Which I think it's fair enough. It's a spoof, but I think it's fair enough to count it as a Western because it is spoofing those Western tropes. Mm-hmm. But I just find it... I, I just find it interesting that, you know, you haven't had a lot of exposure to the Western genre, and yet the ones you have seen now, at least from this list, are very much the films that are, like, commenting on the the past of the genre. You know, specifically, you know, we're getting the perspective of African-American characters in both of these films. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, you know, it's very much like these films are built in response to a genre that for so long uh, 
neglected the experience of African Americans in the time period. And now these films are coming out and they're like, you know, giving us that perspective now. So I just, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this being your only exposure to the genre is these kind of like revisionist modern neo-westerns instead right. of traditional westerns as far as traditional westerns go i think the only one i'm sure i've seen more but i gotta think about it is uh high noon i've seen High noon yes. um, there um, are some we're going to cover on this list we're going to cover uh a fistful of dollars and the good the bad and the ugly High Plains Drifter, and The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Right, so we're going to get some... I'm assuming most of those are probably more classic. Uh, yeah, those are all definitely more in the classic vein. Okay. Um, I, I, I wish I had something more to say, but because I haven't seen a lot of the past ones, I, I don't have much to say on that, but... Um, I liked the movie. <laughs> um, no, I... I it's one of those things where Westerns are so ingrained into culture at this point. Their, their ideas, like, like I believe you've said on the podcast before, they're the great American fable uh, of sorts. Right. Um, it's basically our mythology. Right. You know, for better or worse. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just one of those things where you know everything about Westerns even before you could even see a western and i think that allows me to see at least a little bit of a different side um, or at least understand why the movie is is different from how westerns were how it's sending up the genre or something to that effect if right, that makes that, sense that makes sense okay. no it, it it definitely makes sense you know you you can recognize what exactly they're they're messing around with even though you don't really have that cinematic history behind you there is that very much cultural history because mm -hmm. yeah i do agree that the western has kind of like permeated american culture to you know in in somewhat dangerous ways but also yeah, <laughs> yeah. Very, i don't know i'm i'm fascinated by it but i don't want to i don't want to spend too much time on this podcast just giving all my thoughts on how uh, American culture is still influenced by Western films because I wrote like an entire thousand plus word paper on that. If you want to so. read that, you can go to this clever blog. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not posted there. No, I know. Um, yeah, uh, but I, but I do water. think that is part of the the power of this film is kind of that similar similar to Blazing Saddles, just like that catharsis from you know. Now, now we're getting the African American perspective, and not only that, but it's just like he comes in and he shoots up all the racists, and it's just like yeah. it's awesome. <laughs> it's very it's... much just uh, a fun, but like it's it's just it, it, you know it makes the catharsis that much stronger, where yeah. it's just the excess of Tarantino mixed in with this. Where you're just like, it's so over the top, but you know, it's so satisfying yeah. in a sense I have to see this said, cinematic violence. I have frequently said that we kill Nazis a lot in movies, and we never really give the KKK what they have coming to them, and it's like, oh, we get a little bit of that in this movie, so, you know. So Tarantino's like, I'm going from Nazis and Inglorious Bastards yep. to 
No, the KKK. Well, it's, it's perfect because they're villains that you cannot sympathize with. They're evil racist people. Like, yeah, no, you don't really need to care what they think. It's like, nope, you, you hate black people. Nope, you're, you're horrible. Like, yeah, but so. did, did, did you try listening to their opinions, oh, you know? Did yeah. You, yeah. Do, do, you, do you hate free speech? Oh, do you, do you... I hate it the most. Free speech is my least favorite. <laughs> God. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Django. Um, did you said you had like a point or something? Did I have a point? <laughs> I don't know. I, I rarely have a point on this show, Aaron. I like to listen to what you say, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. That gives me a different way to think about it. Um, I, something that I had heard people complain about before I had even seen it were like... It wasn't like a huge complaint that I heard, but just the uh, the little cameo from uh, the original person who played Django at some point. They're like, oh mm-hmm. man, that was so obvious. I'm like, if I didn't know that was in this movie, I would have no clue who that guy was. I'd be like, okay, that was a scene that happened. <laughs> All right, and let's move on. So, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Was really bad. I mean, that's very much another one of those moments that if you had the cinematic history... Mm-hmm. behind it your your film your experience with this film is different yeah but i don't know it didn't it didn't bug me at all i suppose no and oh man christoph waltz's final scene it's like as soon as he's like shake my hand i'm like you're dead it was the star wars episode 7 thing with the bridge i'm like oh man you're dead <laughs> but like you know it's coming you're like just don't please don't die you're a good character <laughs> and i like you and then, yep, very tense. Man, just that whole conversation leading up to it too is great. And then he's like, "Oh well, if you insist," then just slings his gun out and shoots him. I'm like, "Yeah, die, Leonardo DiCaprio. You're an evil racist man." <laughs> not Leonardo DiCaprio. Calvin Candy. Not actually Leonardo DiCaprio. It's it's a character that he plays. Plays it a little too convincingly. Am I right? Da, 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 da. It's the X Files theme, Aaron. I I know it's the X Files theme. I watched three and a half seasons of that show. So, why does no one ever give you crap about that? You watched three seasons. Well, to be fair, they took it off Netflix, so okay, can't finish it. Sure, sure. All right. Well, you got anything to say? Anything else to say about Django? I mean. I guess that's pretty much it because without you know the cinematic history of westerns that can't get too in depth there and I'm sorry. No no. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. But that's um, basically I you know what I can give an analysis on though? What? Is that in this movie um Samuel L. Jackson is killed by a man named Django. But mm-hmm. in Star Wars episode two he kills a man named Django. <laughs> Spooky stuff, really. This this is the kind of insightful film commentary that the listeners are coming for. Yeah. I mean, it, it has to be something. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know what back. it could be, <laughs> so it must be this. Um, yeah, yeah, anyway, I mean, as far as placement on the list. Sure, yeah. Uh, I, uh, we're looking at number eight for me. Right behind Doctor Strangelove, right before, wait, 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 yeah, right behind Doctor Strangelove, 
right ahead of all the president's men. Interesting. It's higher than I have it, but I have mine at number 14 uh, behind uh, being John Malkovich and ahead of the fly. No, okay. So, no. and again, like all of the films on this list, I highly recommend. Yeah. So it's like, I really enjoy this movie, but four, 14 is not like a bad placement. No, not at all. Um, wouldn't it be great if we did the same thing we did like last time, or was it two times ago where it was placed in between the same two movies? <laughs> we just, every week it just keeps happening. It's like in between <laughs> Dr. Strange. What? <laughs> How is this happening? Just done different places. I, I actually do have Doctor Strangelove and all the President's Men next to each other, so. Oh. But that'd be too high on my list for Django, I think. Alright. Alright, so this has been another episode of Gateway to Cinema. If you want to find us around the web, you can find Lacey at Jake underscore Lace on Twitter. You can find him at Jake Lace on Tumblr. Uh, you haven't posted anything new, right? Not yet, no. Is there going to be something up? Because you said you were writing something Something. Soon. Something right. should be up. I don't want to say what it is yet, though. So if you want to find David from the main podcast around the web, you can find him at dbex15 on Twitter. dbex with two S's. If you want to find me around the web, you can find me at littleflamedude on Twitter. You can find me at this clever blog name. It's already taken. .tumblr.com And if you want to find the main podcast around the web, you can find us at RebootWardyUn on Twitter. You can give us a like on Facebook for new episodes and news and other items. And you can check us out on SoundCloud and iTunes. Give us a good review if you like what we say. So, next week... Annabelle Creation comes out. Uh, so, what I am thinking is we cover The Devil's Backbone. Horror movies send orphanages. So oddly specific, but all right, sure, let's do it. All right. So next week we will be talking about The Devil's Backbone by Guillermo del Toro. So until next time, don't think it, don't say it. Bye bye, man. I'm gonna do the actions every time now, even though they can't see. They it. they can't see the actions. <laughs> okay.